A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our season wrap-up podcast for season one of HBO's original series, The Last of Us. Because we got so much feedback, we split our episode in two, and this is the part two of our season wrap-up podcast. Be sure to stick around at the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of March and beyond into April. The T-L-O-U at thelorehounds.com email will stay active so it's ready to go for season two. Otherwise, if you've got more to say, join us over on the Lorehounds Discord server, link in the show notes below, and on our website, thelorehounds.com. Also, a heads up about our Patreon, we've got one, and it's a very important part of our ability to produce all the different projects and shows we're working on. If it works for you, please consider subscribing today at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just as little as $3 a month, you can get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access to new podcasts, and the occasional post-credit blooper, and we've got more benefits in the pipeline, so stay tuned. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. You know, John, we've gotten some really, really kind and generous um, uh, feedback in the last couple of weeks. And I have to say, you know, as much as it helps us in the rankings in the Apple Podcast, it just makes us feel good, too. So thank you, It helps you your heart. It does. <laughs> Generosity is free. It's uh, true. But yeah, thank you all so much for the kind words. We really, we read all of them. We appreciate it. And we take a lot of that uh, material to heart. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, David, we've got a lot of feedback to get to because our listeners love murder, it turns out. <laughs> and we are going to get right to it. We're going to do the case for Joel Miller. We did the case against Joel Miller last time. But before we do that, we do have one piece of general feedback that got sent in last minute. So you want to take that? Sure. Sarah E., who's a new Patreon subscriber, thank you so much. Um, she sent in some quick thoughts by email. She said, hey, guys, super happy listener. I'm so glad I found your pod during the White Lotus. And y'all have continued to cover all my favorites like Andor and The Last of Us. Anyway, a few episodes ago, you mentioned the butterflies on Joel's window. And I wanted to point out that Sarah's room had a lot of butterfly decorations from episode one. So perhaps Joel put that butterfly on the window as a reminder or ode to Sarah. Good detail. 
Thanks for the yeah. hours of listening entertainment. Sarah from Grand Rapids. Thank you, Sarah. The, yeah, these are the kind of details that I really love that the showrunners put in is, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can miss it in a blink of an eye, but if you go back, it becomes very meaningful. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder how much stuff we thought we were like hunting for clues early on and trying to dig out little details and what is the symbology of this thing and what does that thing mean? And I have to say, they kept it pretty simple. I mean, basically, the watch and the pocket knife were really the only two things that were carry-throughs for the entire right. season. So that was nice that they, they kept it simple. I mean, we don't want to be a Lost here or, you know, Twin Peaks or, you know, X-Files or something like that. Speak for yourself. <laughs> so the case for Joel Miller, the prosecution has rested, the defense rises... David, present the case, please. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't get a lot of supporters on my theory, so that's fine. Uh, I still, you know, hold to some of my views, but we've got a lot of great, well thought out and articulated um, argumentation for the case for Joel Miller. So let's start with Alicia via the contact form at thelorehounds.com slash contact. They say, hi, Lorehounds. Thank you so much for all your great coverage of The Last of Us. You're welcome. For this epic first season, I really enjoyed the show, and I especially enjoyed your coverage and analysis of it. Well, thank you again. I'm not a video game player, so this adaptation was my first interaction with the story ending. I have two major comments on the ending of the first season. One, it was really hard to buy into the whole Ellie is a savior of society concept, given the de-emphasis of the infected in the show. Mm -hmm. After episode five, Ellie and Joel never encountered one infected real time, not, uh, not, excluding, not including a flashback. Um, they seemed to be clustered in major cities, and if you stayed away from the cities, you were probably safer from them. To me, the showrunners drilled down to us non-game players that the real threat to survival is other humans. The last of humans and how dangerous humans are. So, when Ellie and Joel arrive in Salt Lake City, and the stakes are laid out to us to make such a radical decision to kill Ellie to save humanity, it was hard to believe these fireflies really thought through, thought that the vaccine would actually save humanity, and this was the cure to bring back normal life. It was hard to actually believe the integrity of their intent or plan. All right, so let's take uh, her email from there. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think I've said this on a few of our podcasts now is that they did become a little bit too cautious for me. They did get to the point where it it started to feel like it wasn't a post-apocalyptic show, right? Or at least not a zombie post-apocalyptic show because, you know, you can have society fall without a uh, global pandemic of fungal proportions. But it, it does really lower the stakes a little bit when you get to that hospital. So. I do think that they went a little too cautious. I think they learned from that mistake. They seem to have already made comments in the media, Craig Mazin especially, that, oh, okay, did. yeah, we, uh, we will have more infected in season two. I think that they okay. understand that, all right, we were afraid to be the walking dead, and right. we are not the walking dead, but now maybe we could take a tiny bit of walking dead and sprinkle it through. Right. Um, I think... I, I'm glad that they erred on a conservative side, though, because I think if yes. they had thrown too much infected at us, uh, it would have, like, then we all would have been making comparisons to The Walking Dead, more so. 
I mean, we did here and there throughout the season, but I never felt compelled to go, wow, this is really... It was more like, oh, thank God, somebody who didn't go the Walking Dead route. So it was like in a, uh, a, an appreciative way, uh, as opposed to, oh, my Lord, they're going for a Walking Dead style, blah, blah, blah. And then that right. really dragged our energies down. So I'm glad that they erred on the conservative side. And I agree, the, the Firefly plan, regardless of what Joel did and what we think Joel about what Joel did and or didn't do and or, you know, how he felt about things. The you fire- just want to say and or. <laughs> I do. And or. And or. Um, <laughs> the Firefly plan uh, is, w- in retrospect, it's very ill-conceived. And, and it very. There's a lot of holes to it. There's a lot of information we don't have. So we want to poke holes in it. Because, um, you know, maybe they're low on resources and they got to get the, you know, some people have pointed out that maybe they don't have enough fuel for the generator to do the operation. Da, da, da. There's a lot of reasons. But we have to take the show for what the show gave us. And what the show gave us was, um, we have a moral question we want to ask you, the audience. So we've got to put Ellie's life on the line right away to put Joel into that position. So you can feel the hand. If you look further into it, I think this is where we feel the hand of the showrunners and the, and the writers. But it's fine. Right. I, right. I, it's still fine, because overall, the quality of the show has been excellent. And I don't mind seeing the mechanics slightly in this last moment where they're really pushing this moral, this question of morality and ethics towards us. Well, that's the thing, right, is we go into fiction not to just live through reality, but to be challenged about our preconceived notions and to be challenged to take maybe an unrealistic situation, but an unrealistic situation that has some moral or worldly truth to it that you are supposed to wrestle with as the audience. And I think that this show and the game do a brilliant job of this. Right. And it looks like we've, um, we kind of overrode um, Alicia's second half of our comment, which I'll read right here. Coming off of that, how the showrunners presented the whole Firefly plan was really astoundingly hard to believe. You mean to tell me that a mere hours after they get their hands on Ellie, the first immune person to the fungus ever, they jump to fatal surgery immediately. There was no guarantee that she was uh, going to show up. How would they be prepared to act that fast? It feels unbelievable and not well thought out. Wouldn't they want to study her more and better understand how she worked, do more analysis before jumping quickly to killing her? I know Joel's decision is the biggest debate regarding the ending, but given how radical and quick they jumped to surgery makes me understand why he did what he did when there was really no great plan laid out to him or thoughtfulness demonstrated. My two cents. Thanks again. Yes, thank you, Alicia. I think um, this really puts a, a good finger on what we were just recapping there, which is, yeah, it was a, a rushed thing. We have to take it for the value that the show has given us to uh, given it to us. And yeah, it puts everybody into this moral dilemma. So it is a little bit deus ex machina in the sense of, oh, we have to kill the savior to right. like force the, the challenge here. Right. Well, I don't think that she's a fan of the fireflies. No, but and maybe I, one day. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are not fans of the fireflies. No. There's How could no, you be? Right. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Doof71, one of our Lore Master Patreon subscribers. Uh, he says, having had 10 years to mull over The Last of Us and its ending here, here's my take on the parental angle. 
So some context first. I'm a Gulf War I combat veteran, and we lost our first baby in childbirth in the late 90s. Uh, it's really tough to hear. I'm really sorry yeah, I'm to hear I'm very that. sorry. Um, he continues, when I first played the game, I burst into tears when Sarah was killed. The first time a game had ever affected me like this. I have two daughters, and my eldest, Ellie, was of the same age, so it hit a fear all parents have losing your child, which, for obvious reasons, I'd already experienced. This early trauma in the game set me on aligning myself very closely with Joel throughout the game. Obviously, I was playing a game, but recognized how the story was showing how broken, traumatized, and damaged Joel was, and in turn, how his developing relationship with Ellie was opening him up to feeling and loving, not so much healing, but enabling Joel to be more than the hollowed-out survivor persona he had. The scene where Joel explains to Ellie how he failed at his suicide attempt showed this change Joel was experiencing and his hesitancy in engaging with Ellie, I think was portraying his fear that no matter what, when they get to the fireflies, things will change and it could take Joel back. Over their journey and their experience of the last episode, they have formed a strong father-daughter bond. Unlike every other adult in Ellie's life, Joel has remained though all th- uh, through all the adversity. In turn, Joel gets a second chance to be a parent, to not repeat the mistakes he made with Sarah. You hesitate, you die. As a parent with some trauma related to losing a child, um, that bond, that second chance, is a powerful feeling, and as mentioned in the pod, love can make you do terrible things. What's great about the game and the show is the reversal of the chosen one trope. Joel makes his decision on many levels, but his parental drive to protect his child is overpowering. Playing the game, uh, the rational mind made me want to save the world, but my heart was going, F yeah, I'm going to terminate everyone that stands in my way, getting my child back. Um, so right. he goes on, uh, you know, thanks for the, you know, apologies for the long messages and thanks, blah, 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 blah. So um, thanks, Duve. Always great and considered, well, well considered and thoughtful uh, feedback. Uh, John, thoughts? I mean, first of all, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine. So I'm sure that that has shaped your view of the game and view of what Joel has done. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a utilitarian thing, right? That's what they're playing with is, are you going to take the utilitarian route or are you going to go with your gut, right? Go with your gut of, no, I can't let a kid die. Right, my kid. And Right, yeah, especially my kid. Right. And that's... Yeah. That's the tough thing, right? Because, you know, we can all sit here and say, well, you know, you do the math and you got one kid versus the whole world. Even if it's a shot, it's still a shot. But you put your own kid there. Do you make the same decision? I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's pretty hard. And, you know, going back onto the Firefly question, it is the case that Marlene didn't give him a lot of information. She was just basically like... Okay, thanks for delivering her. She's not in pain. It's all good. Here's your stuff. GTFO. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then, like, yeah. and if he doesn't like it, shoot him in the back of the head when, you know, on your way down the stairs. <laughs> um, it, it, it really didn't do anybody any justice. So, yeah, there's some, certainly some provocation there on Marlene's part in terms of, um, instigating Joel's instinct. She completely underestimates 
Joel's feelings and depths of feelings in the moment. Even though, in my opinion, Joel demonstrated and said the things necessary for Marlene to clue in. But I think Marlene was so dug into her own feelings that she missed the cues that Joel were giving her, was giving her, right? Because Joel says, right. you don't understand. And then Marlene says, no, uh, I do understand because I was there from the beginning. And, but jo- and Joel, if Joel was just a pickup truck driver or dropping off some cargo, why would he care? Why would one of the guards have to, you know, punch him in the stomach uh, or, you know, butt him with the rifle in the stomach to, to uh-huh. get him to, to stop if he didn't have any feelings for her? And so I think Marlene completely blew it here as a leader, as a person who has responsibility for, quote unquote, saving humanity or doing the best for humanity. She wasn't taking in all the points of view and, and all the information that was going on. And then just like walking him out to the side of the road, like that was a really, really bad mistake, obviously, with, you know, dire consequences for all. Right. Well, I think Marlene and the Fireflies as a whole are just really cocky, right? They really are Mm. trying to just be the saviors of society and not just, you know, factually, but they're trying to be the beacon of light for everyone, right? They're on street corners going, you know, if you're lost in the darkness (laughs) and getting told to shove it by Joel. So it's, it's almost like an evangelical thing, right? It's not just, it's an ideology more than it is just. A movement. And that is something that I think has blinded Marlene and blinded a lot of the leadership of the Fireflies, where they really think, you know, everyone should be on our side, so everyone will be on our side. All right, let's move on to Sean. Sean says, hey guys, I discovered you after hearing you on another podcast and haven't left since. Thank you, Sean. Love all your content. Keep up the good work. I'm a game player of The Last of Us and a mega fan. I've played both games many times all the way through and was extremely excited about the show. It didn't disappoint. Well, I'm glad we found an. I mean, like all the game players, John seem to uh, have, be very appreciative of the the adaptation to the screen. Yeah. So. Almost, almost universally. I almost universally. Yeah. I love how the show causes so much debate and wildly different opinions. With that said, David's opinion on Joel being a monster or quote unquote insane, and his opinion of Joel's relationship with Ellie is all caps the worst opinion I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to petition to revoke that opinion from the record. I'm kidding, of course, but not really. First off, Joel is not a monster or insane. He's dealt with extremely painful trauma and probably has some PTSD and is, uh, you know, dejected. Um, okay, let's pause there. Okay, fair enough. Let's just be clear. Trauma uh, does not give you an excuse to inflict trauma on others. Right. Because that is something that we got to be clear up right away. So mm-hmm. we can say Joel is damaged. Yeah. But we cannot say that that excuses what he's done. And I don't think it does. You know, I, I think that neither of these sides were right. It would be difficult for me to side with one. And I do think that what Joel did was monstrous, even if it did have a purpose, even if it was out of love. It was monstrous. Right. And I think the, the fulcrum of the argument here is it's not whether Joel is insane or not necessarily. It's where is Joel's head about Ellie versus Sarah. I think that's the, that's the, the, the point of the argument here, the tipping point of the argument. Uh-huh. So let's, uh, let's carry on with Sean's email here. That doesn't make him a monster. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, he's a tortured soul looking for a purpose. Yeah. 
Regarding his relationship with Ellie, I don't believe he sees her as Sarah at all. He seems very aware that they're totally different people. I think in the last episode, when we see him trying to relate to Ellie and pull her out of her dejected state of mind, he's just pulling from his relationship with Sarah on how to do that. I mean, who has the experience cheering somebody up after being abducted by a super creep, almost (laughs) chopped into bits and eaten, and then repeatedly smashing said creep's face with a butcher knife? Joel is doing the best he can here. Maybe I have a little bit more information from playing both games, but I haven't heard anyone else share David's opinion. Looking forward to hearing your future content. Thanks, Sean. All right. So, um, murdering a hospital full of, you know, firefly guards. uh, Okay. Um, Shooting the doctor in the head. That's pretty rough. Um, And and just to do that, regardless of who's right or who's wrong, whether you're justified or not, taking that much human life is um, something you really have to put your humanity in a different kind of space, right? Yeah. Um, so, Well, and you know, Joel loved Ellie, loves yeah. Ellie, yeah. and so wanted to save her for himself. Don't you think that a lot of these people probably had loved ones too? Right, which is, which is what I love, which is what's so delicious about the Silver Lake community thing, because they back, uh, they created a backdrop for that sensibility wherein... Okay, yeah, that guy attacked you, but he was our loved one. And he was, you know, regardless of whether he attacked you or what he was doing, right, you've taken away somebody's father right? in that, in that moment. Now, are you, we can argue right and wrong, who's right and wrong about in that situation. The point is, though, that somebody, you know, that person, all of those people that Joel killed in that hospital have families, right, or, or have loved ones or, you know, a community that they're part of. And he's just, right. he wiped them all out, you know? Right. Especially Silver Lake, because, yes, the leadership was monstrous. You know, yeah. I'm going to use that word too many times tonight, but the leadership was monstrous. They were eating mm-hmm. people, and they were feeding people to others without their That's consent. That's pretty monstrous, yeah, eating human, other human beings. Right, right. But not everybody living in that community was monstrous, right? And they are definitely going to starve to death now, because their whole <laughs> food supply just right. burnt up, right? That's right. And they, they're leaderless. And yeah. they don't have, um, you know, well, they had very strong leaders, and then those leaders are now gone, so now there's a vacuum. Who's going to be able to step up and, and step in? Because And are they going to be a better guy? Mm-hmm. Probably are going to use the same or similar tactics, because that's what they've seen, and they, they seem to think that that's effective. Right? right. You would seem to think that that would be effective, because David had such effectiveness, so. Right. Um, in terms of... You know, again, the the argument of of does Joel see Ellie for Ellie or does he see her as Sarah? I think that's the one we're just going to go round and round on because for as much as much evidence as I've heard, and 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 Sean makes some good arguments here in terms of like Joel's just going on what he's got and he doesn't got a lot, and the only thing he really had was Sarah, right? So he's trying to his framework for dealing with a teenage child is that one that he had for Sarah, and it was still in developing and in, in being developed. So he's going back to what he knows. That's fair. He's damaged, you know, he's got PTSD, he's got, you know, okay, all that's fair. And yet I still see evidence throughout the show that points me towards the orientation that 
Joel is not relating to Ellie as Ellie, but as Sarah. So. All right. Well, now that you're done being wrong, we've got another feedback. (laughs) We've got DM says, just wanted to drop a note to say, David, I'm sorry to say this. I've never heard a worse take on Joel. Did you even watch the show? Do you hate Joel? (laughs) Or is it that Joel was smart or not to trust the Fireflies when they've done uh, anything that's successful? They have no technology, no way to distribute some cure that's not even a cure. The infected brains are too far gone. They'd be some sort of vegetable at best, and they're going to kill a girl on a hunch that something might work. Did you forget what the professor, the expert in fungus said in the second episode, that there's no way to fight the fungus? He did what he did because Ellie was never told what would happen to her if she had and gotten to even tell Joel herself. He would have hated it, but accepted it. They flashbanged him and noticed they took her, don't tell me that they didn't know who they were, Mm. in hopes he would be out until it was over because he would have asked them questions. All right, let's pause there. Let's pause there. there. We're on the same page, David. Exactly. Uh, So I just want to point out a difference from the game that I didn't really bring up when we Uh watched this, but... When Joel and Ellie get to Salt Lake City yeah. and they meet the fireflies in the game, Ellie has just gone underwater. Remember, Ellie can't swim. Ellie basically almost drowned and he's doing CPR on her. Uh-huh. And the fireflies come and they say, put your hands up, man. And he says no. And he keeps going. And then they hit him in the head and they resuscitate Ellie. So I think that that's more believable of Mm -hmm. them not knowing who Ellie is, but I kind of buy this, that they did know who Ellie was, that they were expecting her. Kind of interesting. interesting. Or they could say, you know, it was a child, so they didn't mess with her as much. Even though Marlene does say, you know, they hit you in the head pretty hard, they didn't know, the patrol didn't know who you were. Right. Well, that's Marlene saying things, though. I don't know if I trust (laughs) everything she says. That's right. Um, All right. So DM goes on. I just don't think there's an actual understanding of him also... Talking, um, talking to her, he is a man, she's been traumatized, when did he become a psychiatrist? He has no way to, okay, so this goes up uh, kind of on what Sean was pointing out. He's got no way to relate to her, the only way is to maybe distract her, or talking about even nonsense, the puns, trying to tell her he tried to kill himself when he was so hurt about Sarah, even Ellie know, uh, knows about Sarah which is why he's saying that. Then finally, he uses his 14-year-old daughter to try to help her. Remember, this isn't one of the new fathers that are sensitive and so involved. Um, He worked a lot and wasn't around even in the beginning of the show. Uh, He thought Sarah was doing fractions in school. So how could he relate to a traumatized 14-year-old? All right, so this is an interesting point, um, that, and which is what Sean was saying in the last email, which is... um, that Joel's just doing the best he can and why yeah. it comes off as awkward on the screen, which is good acting on Pedro Pascal's part, right? Cause he's playing right. somebody who's dealing with this awkward situation. Well, and he has um, an asshole voice. <laughs> he, that's right. He also has an asshole voice. Um, so yeah, that's the, this good evidence. Yep. I, I don't disagree. Um, and also, you know, if we're going to look at this, Sarah was not a depressed person, right? She was pretty upbeat. No. Yeah. She was very go with the flow. I don't Mm -hmm. think Joel would have ever had that conversation with Sarah of, I tried to commit suicide at some point. Mm. So I do think that he, this is more evidence. You know, he's relating to Ellie where she is. He Mm -hmm. sees that she's depressed. How do I connect with her? Let me share an experience with her. Right. 
All right, carrying on. Marlene said she knows what he's capable of and then uh, was stupid and awful to him, basically. Thanks for bringing her here. I don't like you. I'm not giving you anything I promised. And then I'm going to leave you with with her knife. And on your own, if you'll do anything, they'll kill you, which I think they will anyway. Right. So uh, I, I'm in agreement on this point. I think Marlene uh, really screwed up here on a number of different levels, not of which the least of which is uh, allowing Joel to have the opportunity to <laughs> do what he did. Right. At, at, right. At, Absolutely. At, at a basic level, just never have him wake up. Um, at the highest level, right, you're going to keep him alive. Okay, fine. Lock him up, you know, put him in handcuffs, have more than two guards, whatever. Like, there's a whole way you could, you know, could have handled that. Certainly wait until things are done and, and over and, and send him on his way in some other way. But right. yeah, uh, agreed. All right. Uh, DM continues, I never send emails, and I'm sorry to be harsh <laughs> in this, but your take was just so off, in my opinion, that I had to, um, that the part that set me off was Joel being called insane. Pain is an insanity. He's done what he had to do to survive and to protect those he cares about, and that he's a monster, but the fireflies aren't? Question mark. Marlene didn't even tell a girl she was going to die. That's monstrous to me. Agree. Yeah. I don't disagree. And- that the fireflies are being monstrous here as well. And the insanity thing, it's just, you know, the way I think about it is, you know, if you're going to plead insanity at trial, right, you have to, you know, it, it's going to depend on, on what, the, what it, the law is there, but generally you got to prove that you had no awareness of what you were doing, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the insanity defense, right. is that I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. Joel knew what he was doing. Joel was very calculating here. Yeah, to the point that he, uh, when he runs out of ammo, he uses Ellie's knife to finish right. off one of the guys, right? Like, that was a very calculated move. He didn't just go in and swipe up more ammo. He, like, <laughs> finished the guy off. Right. Well, I see insanity as an excuse, right? I don't mm-hmm. see it as, I, I see that as a mitigating element. I don't see that as some kind of, you know, knock on him. And so, I actually, I, me saying that he wasn't insane is saying that he's a worse person than, than I think that you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's ask the question, though, um, going through a hospital full of people and then finishing it off with shooting the doctor in the head and then um, shooting Marlene and then finishing her off as well, is that a sane thing to do? Absolutely. What did he say to Marlene? He said, you just keep coming after me. Exactly. But his fear is, I mean, he's, he's operating out of fear. Well, but we did this last time, right? Is he wrong? Yeah, right. I don't think he's wrong. I think he's absolutely correct because he's been in groups that keep coming after people. Mm-hmm. And he understands that, yeah, if they believe that she's the cure, then they're going to keep coming after her. So he's got to kill the doctor and he's going to creep kill Marlene to complete this plan of saving Ellie and removing any trace of her. So... The is it insane then to condemn humanity to never finding a potential cure, regardless of whether the, no, it's the, evil. It's not mm, insane, right? It's okay, not, because because insanity would be like no, oh, right, the world oh, right, would be right, saved yeah, anyway. Yeah. The world right, yeah. saved anyway because there's going to be another cure. Like if he actually believed what right, he told right, right, Ellie yeah. in the car, yeah, I wasn't there were applying, dozens of people. I wasn't impl- uh, uh, You're right. I wasn't applying the. Um, the sort of uh, reworked definition of insanity that we just had, which is like you are 
there is a fundamental unawareness of your own internal right. processes. Here. You have you a have break lost. in reality where you're exactly. not aware of your actions, that you're in some kind of, of state where you, right. you know, you're emotionally disturbed, something where, right. where you just can't be held accountable for your actions, at least to the degree that we would hold somebody accountable if they were aware of their actions. And I, I don't think that that's true with Joel. I think that he got it. did some calculations in his head and he's like, all right, dead doctor plus dead Marlene means Ellie safe. All right. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming around on the insanity point here. Um, I, I guess I was trying to put my finger on something that is like, that is, you know, that level of violence to be able to yeah. sustain, yeah. for a human being to sustain that level of violence and follow through. That's just a psychological state that I can't relate to. <laughs> sure. I just don't have that sure. capacity. But I've never been put into that position. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. Would I, would I, I mean, be able to or not? Yeah, It's profoundly selfish. It is, yes. you know, debatably evil. I know I'm, we'll probably get emails about that, but it's, you know, debatably <laughs> monstrous. I think we'll right. get emails about that and we already have, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy the insanity. That's where I'm at. All right, let's finish up here uh, with uh, DM's email. He says, in a way, Anna lied to save Ellie's life, and then Joel did it to save her from the truth. You think Ellie was meant to save the world with no proof at all that she was. Maybe, though, she was just meant to save Joel's. I love the podcast. Mm. I'm not a gamer, nor did I play the game at all. I'm just watching the show, and I don't blame uh, what Joel did at all. Killing a girl that has no idea she's going to die in a hunch is no better than what Joel did. And here's the better question. If it works on how do they distribute... Oh, if, it, if the... Um, uh, vaccine, vaccine works, how do yeah. they distribute it? Uh, people don't know that Jackson even exists, so how would they get it uh, better yet? How would they manufacture millions of doses? No factories left, on and on and on. Okay. Well, hold on there. There was a factory mentioned even in episode one. They said Hedra has a factory in Atlanta oh, that manufactures pills drugs. and bullets. So That's we know right. there's at least one factory. I'm sure there's more Hedra factories because you're not going to have distribution from Atlanta to the whole country. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't buy that either. I'm, I'm going to take issue with that one. Um, agreed, though, that, you know, uh, the way that they, the, the, what Marlene did and how she did it, um, ethically and morally wrong on, on all counts, even though they have somebody who could alter the course of the pandemic uh, in their hands. Potentially, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we're going to move on to more feedback. And we're back. All right. Next email is from Nick C. Uh, they say, let's face it. I know what the story is going for, but realistically, there's no chance at a vaccine or a cure. There's no power grid. There's one doctor. The fireflies look to be on their last legs. That's a good point. They don't, they don't seem mm -hmm. strong. One guy killed them all. <laughs> yeah. So how good are the fireflies? It took multi-billions of dollars and thousands of people, probably tens of thousands, to make the COVID vaccine within two years. And granted, this world has uh, no FDA testing, <laughs> but I just cannot believe with their limited resources, the fireflies could actually mass produce a vaccine or a cure. Additionally, seeing how the fireflies operate, I have my doubts they would ethically distribute the cure and its formula. Instead, they more likely would hoard it for power. I've seen the 
Firefly's hoarding a vaccine stroke cure argument in a number of places. That seemed to be a common uh, sentiment people had, that they didn't trust the Fireflies at all. Well, let me ask you, who was eating a chicken sandwich when they were first setting out? <laughs> was it Joel and Tess, who are just honest nope. people working, or was it Miss Firefly, little Miss Firefly over there? Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. They they are known to hoard some resources there. Melina from Alberta, Canada. She says, hello, Lorehounds. I've listened to all your coverage of The Last of Us and have very much enjoyed it. This is my first time writing in. Thank you so much. Glad to hear it. I've sent similar thoughts to the Bald Move podcast following their take on this episode, but I felt like sharing my take with you as well as you touched on the same things. Well, thank you for thinking of us. Whatever side the debate people fall on, it seems like most people think the Fireflies and or Joel should have given Ellie a choice about her fate. I feel like everyone is overlooking that Ellie is a 14-year-old, a child. As a society, we generally hold that children cannot consent to certain things. I want to put a pin in the word consent right here. Um, Under any circumstances, and can't consent to most major life choices without at least parent permission. I don't think it makes sense to ask a healthy minor to consent to certain death. This goes double when you add the pressure of the fate of the world depending on it. There is also the fact that she certainly is traumatized by what she's been through. In this episode, Joel hinted that he fears Ellie is suicidal. Could you really be sure she's choosing to die to save the world or to escape her own pain? Presenting this to her as a real choice is a farce. It's the pretense of ethics. She's scared traumatized and with the weight of the world on her shoulders. All right, let's pause there. I like this take. Yeah. I don't know if I fully agree with it, and I'll Uh tell you why. In this world that we live in right now, completely agree. A Mm 14-year-old should not be making their medical decisions. In that world, (laughs) where they're already trained as child soldiers, where they're growing up with very limited resources, where they've already forced to be been forced to live in adult situations in quite a few ways, and especially Ellie, who's had to travel alone outside of a QZ, not in a traditional environment. She's had to nurse her caretaker back to health. She's had to kill someone. I mean, I, I do think that we're discounting Ellie's capabilities, experiences here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, consenting to, to something like this, yes, I agree with you. This should not be a lightly given choice, right? This shouldn't be, make the choice in an hour. We'll be back. This should be, take a month, think about it. You can stay here with us. We'll keep you fed. We'll keep you clothed. And we'll we study will, you in the meantime, right, you know. Right. We'll Maybe do, we'll, we'll figure out a different as, way. Right. And think about it for a month. And if we haven't found a, a different way in a month, you can make your decision. I think that, you know, there are, there are in-betweens here. Is it ethically sound? Of course it isn't. This is not an ethically sound world. So I, I guess that's what I would say, right? Is that, is that, yes, in this world, I would never allow this to happen. But in that world, I don't know. The rules are a little bit made up at this point. There is, um, I heard this also on a, another podcast, that there's a difference between consent and assent. Assent being, okay, 14-year-olds, here is your legal parent, guardian person, whatever, the person who is you know, by law and by, um, by society's values, your, your uh, adults, you know, to help you think through things because your brain ain't done bacon yet. Um, we want to do this thing and it may result in you dying. Um, 
I'm going to give legal consent, but would you, as the 14-year-old, assent? Would you agree? And then if you didn't agree, then to what degree does that have bearing on the ethical choice that's being made on your behalf? There's, you know, the consent, the legal consent of somebody signing the document and basically right. indemnifying the hospital and the doctor from lawsuits or criminal negligence, you know, all of those kinds of things. So that's in a world of, of laws and, and legality. Um, but then there's just the, the moral question of assent, or, you know, we've talked a lot about Ellie and her agency. Did Marlene give her agency in this choice? Did Joel give her agency in this choice? And I think that's where, uh, within some worlds, they talk about assent. You know, has, do, does this person agree to what you're consenting to on their behalf? Right. And the last piece of information we had from Ellie was, no half measures, we've finished what we started, right? But she did not have the information that meant the end of her life. Right. It wasn't informed consent, right? It was not informed consent. Absolutely. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that you have two adults fighting over what is the right thing to do with this child and treating mm -hmm. them like a tool and not a person. A person. Exactly. If you're Mar so the, uh, uh, Melina carries on, if you are Marlene, you could wait for her to grow up, then ask her for her consent. But time is of the essence and you could lose your shot at the cure in the meantime. Ultimately, I have to conclude that Marlene's planned approach is the correct one. The premise is that the fate of humanity depends on Ellie's brain. If you're convinced that ending her life to save humanity is morally necessary, and I think it is as laid out in the show, it is a kinder, it's kinder to make her think that she's just going under for some tests and will wake up. That way, Ellie's not afraid and doesn't have to wrestle with the choices she's not competent to make, which would only result in consent that is not meaningful consent. Not to mention that she might get cold feet and back out, screwing up the whole operation, complicating things even in the future, uh, even further. It serves neither Ellie nor the world to ask her to choose this fate. It serves only an abstract sense of ethics removed from actual stakes of the situation. Wow. This is a really interesting turn in the argument. What do you think? I love this. Uh, I love how the, the, their logic here is, is moving through this question. I know. I want to hear your take. Okay. Because I am unsure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one, right? We agree, we agree to that. I think, yeah. I think the thing that, that's difficult for me is they don't have any... We don't know what evidence they have to know whether their theory and plan is actually going to, to work. If they said, you know, we found uh, a dog or a deer that had cordyceps and like, it, uh, we could see that it was bit, but it wasn't dead. You know, if there were some animal that was close enough to human physiology that we could say, oh, well, maybe it's like, Better than sixty, better than seventy-five percent chance that we're correct on our theories here, right? That would be, uh, that's a pretty good. That you know, you're like, oh well, maybe should, we should just not have her wake up. And and I agree that the trauma that Ellie has uh, survived does that give her a clear headspace? But then it's hard because we've seen Ellie come through all of this. 
And we see that she does have a clear headspace. Her spirit is clear. Her mind is made up, you know, not to die necessarily, but to, you know, put herself forward as, uh, you know, into the, in, into that, you know, care of the people trying to find a cure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck. I think it's a really, really interesting argument. And I, I don't think anybody's made the argument quite this way. No. Good work. Good work, Melina. You've stumped us. <laughs> All right. She continues, if you disagree with Marlene and take Joel's side and you don't think killing one person without their consent to save the world is morally right, Ellie's feelings on the matter are equally irrelevant. Ellie simply cannot meaningfully consent to her own death. From that perspective on the trolley problem, all he can do is get her out of there in moral terms and not to mention logistically. I mean, I don't think it was ever going to fly to hold the doctor at gunpoint until Ellie wakes up to ask her what she wants or whatever plan you have in mind to obtain her consent. For the record, siding with Marlene on this doesn't change how much I love the character of Joel. I liked how John put it. Joel loves Ellie and this has turned him into a dangerous person. I love that as the theme and it makes my heart go out to Joel even as I see him make what I think is a bad moral choice yep. that extinguishes the hope for the human race. It's terrible, but simultaneously such a beautiful example of human loving another human, and that was the genius of the game. It still works as that even if you think, as David does, that the human he loves is Sarah rather than Ellie. I disagree with the take, as John does, but whichever kid he's thinking of in the moment, it's about the depths of parental love and how that can be channeled for a force for good or for ill. Anyway, thanks for your coverage this season. Always illuminating to discuss. Take care. Melina from Alberta, Canada. This was a really impressive email. I'm very happy, Melina, that you sent this into us because it's really given me some thought. And I like the fact that you point out that while I may be wrong, in a way it doesn't matter because the point is Joel's uh, return from his psychologically sort of desolate, loveless place. And regardless of whether it's Sarah or Ellie, love has activated him to this extreme degree, to the point that he's able to mow through this hospital without any problem, right? He's so motivated by this sense of love that he commits monstrous actions. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you yeah. Go. Oof. Yeah. I mean, here, here's one thing I'll say. Yeah. How do you get Ellie out of there without... I, maybe you don't have to kill the doctor, but without at least killing a lot of guards and yeah. hurting a lot of people. True. I, it's, it's tricky, right? You know, I don't think there was a way for Joel to get out of there without killing anybody. Right. And, With Ellie, it, I mean. And, and it goes into this thing where it really is his offense was his best defense. So say he moves through the hospital directly. Right, he 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 bypasses as much of the um, uh, defending force as possible, and he gets to the sixth floor, gets in, wounds the doctor in the leg, um, and you know kicks him into the corner, scoops up Ellie, and then what? He's got a whole hospital that he's got to get through on the way back down. Right, and that's not going to be easy because carrying a body, regardless of how, I mean, Ellie's a you know. Uh, teenager, that's she's dead weight. Uh, and not, I, I hate to use the word dead weight, but you know, the, the she's 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 quite a live weight, actually. 
quite a live weight, exactly. But she's not active, right? right. Her muscles are right. slack. So just it's like carrying a big bag of rice or something. Right. So to operate his gun and, you know, do all the things, yeah, it would be almost impossible. So in that regard, if he is going to rescue her, his best option is to kill the entire hospital. Well, that's a fun note to end on. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. So we've got Susan from, from Vermont. Hi, Susan. I'm also waving to you from Vermont. Um, they say, I listened to your final recap and couldn't disagree with David Moore. Oh, boy. Joel isn't insane or a monster, given the world that they live in and circumstances that they find in. His behavior can be explained. Ellie is a traumatized 14-year-old girl that he now feels parental towards and responsible for her well-being. She didn't agree to be killed for the Firefly's quote-unquote research effort. And even if she did, she's a child with PTSD who isn't in the right state of mind to make that decision. There's no way Marlene would let Ellie walk out of there, and Joel knows that, so the option of waking up Ellie for a chat about it isn't plausible. Joel loves Ellie and had to save her in that moment. He also knows the Fireflies, and he doesn't have a high opinion of them. Thanks for the discussion, Susan from Vermont. Thanks, Susan. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry that everyone's disagreeing with you, David, but I can't help you. Right <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Look, I, but, I know, can't help being popular. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I think what's great here is that people are presenting us with very well-reasoned arguments Agreed. and nuances and opinions about this. And I think it's really illuminating and interesting um, that, you know, the, that Joel has a very low opinion of the Fireflies is pretty evident at how effectively he mows them down. So Yeah. And even know. in the first episode, right? To, if mm-hmm. you tell me to look for the light, I swear to God. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. Yeah. Right away, yes. you, you yeah. know that he thinks that they're full of shit. He even talks about Tommy joining them and how mm-hmm. much he thought that was stupid. Tommy's a joiner. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could tell what he thinks of them. Right. And he... Um, He's very effective in his opinions. Right. All right. Jeannie from Texas. Hi, David and John. I recently found your uh, Last of Us podcast and have been listening along as we've watched the show with my daughters. I've not played the game myself, but I have watched my 21-year-old daughter play both the first and second part of it. I have been there for all the joys and heartbreaks of this game. I have cheered and screamed at my TV as my daughter had to play through both amazing and gut-wrenching scenes. I am both excited and worried at the same time to see all of it on the show eventually. I've really enjoyed your commentary on the show, and it's been really interesting um, from a show watcher only point of view. Um, Now, all that being said, I was absolutely baffled when you guys described Joel as the real villain. Okay, so let let me point the finger squarely at me. It was not John. It was me. I've called Um, him the villain of the the, story. Yeah, you did. I don't care. I'll take advantage. I'll take full responsibility. All right. Um, saying that Joel is a monster. Well, I, I said monster, so. And finally comparing him to Frankenstein carrying his bride out of the hospital when Joel carries Ellie out of the hospital in the end. <laughs> no, just no. He's carrying his daughter out to safely, uh, safety. I very much disagree with you. I do not agree that he's completely unhinged, but he is like that because he's lost the most precious thing in his life in a very traumatizing way. And he has never been the same since. He's a violent man with extreme PTSD who is able to do horrible things to save the people he cares about. He is not a monster. He is a father. I mean, what did Marlene think was going to happen once she told Joel that they were killing Ellie without getting her consent to do the surgery? Do you think she was just gonna, he was going to walk out of there completely okay with it? 
Marlene knew Joel was a violent man and knew what he was capable of. And that's why she picked him to travel with Ellie in the first place. All right. So let's uh, unpack a little bit here. So that's the Um, point of the trolley problem, right? Is that mm -hmm. it changes based on your perspective. If you are the parent of the three people where the trolley is going straight, then sure, you want, you know, on an emotional level, you want the person to change the track and kill the person who wasn't in the way, right? But if you are the person on the other way, then you would probably want them to stay in the in the track that uh, that they were on. Like that's the point of the trolley problem is it changes based on your perspective. And so right. here, yeah, he is being a father and he is doing something out of love, but he's also doing something monstrous and they're not mutually exclusive. And it changes very much based on your perspective. I mean, can you imagine what the family members of this of of the of the hospital workers feel like of mm-hmm. the fireflies feel like right i mean exactly. it's, yeah it's it's very much a matter of the villain of the story depends on who you are in that story right exactly um about the uh frankenstein carrying his bride out uh if you look at the visual image of joel holding ellie and then you look at all of the old horror pictures of, you know, King Kong, of Swamp Thing, of Robbie the Robot, of Frankenstein. It's a perfect uh, mirror image of, of that. Uh, and so it's really hard not to draw that comparison. Now, I can't imagine that uh, Mazin and Druckmann weren't aware of the impact of that shot. I don't know, but I would be surprised if they weren't visually literate, you know, you know, people who make and, and study visual entertainment, I would expect to have uh, that level of, I know literacy is not the right word, but familiarity, I think is the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. um, with that kind of, of imagery. So, yeah, I, and, and it, go, it goes to your point, you know, what's your perspective? Is Joel carrying his, is he a father carrying his daughter to safety, or is he monster carrying his prize out of the hospital? I think it's a real Rorschach test for what's where you as an individual come down on the question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. Now, quickly on Marlene. Marlene, as we talked about before, I don't think she realized that Joel had developed feelings for Ellie by this point. He, she was still relating to him to a degree as a truck driver. Okay, granted. uh, Yeah, you've got a little feeling to you. I've been together for about five months. Fine. But I don't think he, she fully appreciated, uh, and that's a failure, she didn't fully appreciate uh, the depth of Joel's feelings towards Ellie. Yeah, just to be clear, that took a year, because we started in spring and we ended in spring. Mm, okay. And in the, in the game, they're did- very clear about, you know, this is the season, this is the season, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know, I don't remember them contradicting that in the show, but I, I think that, yeah, they're, they're still implying this was a full year they were together from the time I they think- left with Tess. There was something that was said about the number of months that they were out, though. I and mean, there's a way to track it in the show. I guess we just haven't been tracked. So, yeah, um, there was some line said. Anyway, um, I've been following the debate online this week, whether or not Joel made the right choice. And even in my own house, we had a big argument after the episode. Um, as a mother, I could not for the life of me imagine leaving my daughter. And let's face it, Ellie is Joel's daughter by this point to be cut open by a doctor in a post-apocalyptic world in an old hospital with mediocre equipment not knowing if it, it was even remotely possible to make a cure from whatever was in her brain. If you look at it from a realistic standpoint, the Fireflies had no idea what they were doing. 
and were about to make a big mistake cutting Ellie's brain open. You would think that they would want to do some sort of test first to see what they had, if it would work, had they done some experiments on others and knew exactly how to go about this? Probably not, since it seems that Ellie is the first human they've encountered that was immune. Was there really not any other way they could have gone about this that didn't involve killing her? Anything at all? Also, that hospital room didn't seem very sterile, and they didn't even have the equipment or power to get accurate imaging. Um, do they even know what they're looking for? So on and on here um, about like just the sorry state of affairs of the, the Fireflies right. and the Firefly Hospital. Right. So, I mean, we've, we've dealt with some of this question already. It's, it, we don't know. We can only go off of what they gave us in the show, right? So, right. Were the Fireflies just, capable of actually doing this? I don't know. But I think that the uncertainty, if they could do that, is what makes it even a more complicated moral question, yes, right? exactly. When Joel is talking to Marlene in the parking garage, she says uh, to Joel that it's what Ellie would have wanted. We don't know that. They never informed her of what the dangers were, and they never told her she would have to die to make a cure. All she knew was that she had the key to the cure, and that's all the information she had to go on. Marlene even says, we didn't tell her, it's fine. No, it's not fine. She's a child. She just couldn't give her, her consent. And if they had asked for her, cons her consent in front of Joel, it would have been a different story. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. Rant over. Keep doing a great job. Sincerely, Jeannie from Texas. Jeannie, thank you very much for your rant. It was a very well-written rant. So that's uh, <laughs> good because a lot of rants don't um, have, uh, are, aren't as articulate as yours. No, I love um, the rants. And I'm glad that, see, this is what I like is when we have polite disagreements, right? You're writing right. in, you're saying, hey, disagree with you guys, but here's my reasons. And I think that that's a fun conversation. I think that that's some good discourse. So thank you. Absolutely. Uh, John, you want to take over the next couple of emails for us? Would love to. John Jay, speaking of John's, Writes in, hey, Lorehounds, John from Indianapolis here, listening to you from your podcasting start. Hey, thanks, John. I must say, I agree with John that David's take is a bad one. However, John's <laughs> isn't 100% great either. Oh, shots fired. A lot like the, the finale of The Last a lot. of Us. A lot of shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> Joel was neither a monster, insane, or the villain. Multiple things can be true. The calculus uh, can be true that, that a prof prophylactic to the mm -hmm. fungus is worth Ellie's life. And Joel acted as most parents would, given the information he was given. Joel was told that Ellie was in no way consulted about the situation and that the procedure to kill her was imminent. I'm not sure if either of you factored in the ticking clock aspect of it all, or at least didn't bring it up. Due to that, Joel has no time to take prisoners or to potentially leave threats at his back. Right, we I just kind of covered that in the last uh, couple of emails. Right, especially if he has to carry her out, right? He can't yeah. go and, yeah. and, and turn around and, and be... I mean, I guess he could shoot Marlene still holding her, but that's one person. That's not you know somebody with a, who's really trying to kill him. Marlene wasn't really trying to kill him. No, right, and she was even putting her, her gun down. It's, right. it's not like dodging and, and ducking and diving through the hallways as you're carrying her, yeah. Right. I know John said as a father he didn't know how he might ultimately act in a similar situation. But as a new father myself, I am very sympathetic to his actions here. Plus, how insane are these fireflies? After a day of testing, they are just going to kill the sole person they have come across with immunity? That's some mad scientist type stuff there and shouldn't instill any amount of confidence in their ability to even develop anything that might work. On the flip side, yes, if sacrificing Ellie saves humanity, 
then the Fireflies are right in doing what they feel it can take. Here is a hot take, though. Joel was absolutely right in killing both the Doctor and Marlene. Marlene told Joel that she'd sussed out how Ellie became immune. Mother was bit while while still in the womb, or at least still connected via umbilical cord. If they don't have Ellie, they are 100% doing some Nazi-style experiments on pregnant women. So, taking out Mm. people with knowledge on how to replicate Ellie's circumstances and the willingness to to kill innocents is arguably a moral thing to do. Let's stop there. That's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. What do you think, David? I was, just as you're reading that, I was thinking of like, okay, humanity is surviving. It sucks. But people are still around. And we've got, you know, QZs. Obviously, I don't think the Fireflies know about Jackson. Um, but it's, 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 you know, and, and in some cases, you know, humanity has cleared out big areas and it's, it's much safer to move about. I mean, they moved basically from Wyoming to, to Boulder or, you know, down to Colorado, not Boulder per se, but and not encountered one infected. So, there is space, and to go and then immediately kill Ellie, yeah, that's kind of silly. So is it really that urgent to move with this such speed? And then the other thing is, on this question of medical experimentation, I don't doubt that there are doctors and, and maybe under the uh, umbrella of the fireflies that that kind of stuff would go on if they could if they had the information i could see it and that is morally objectionable as well so yeah agreed yeah that's an interesting thing see the game did not have this aspect that we knew how ellie was immune or that marlene mm-hmm. knew so i right. never even factor that into my moral calculation because you got to remember i've been thinking about this for almost 10 years right this has been just <laughs> part of my moral conundrums list mm-hmm. for 10 years and uh, yeah, I think it's a super interesting thing to add to the show because I, I agree with you. That actually does add another point to go kill the doctor. Right. Because we don't know that this guy has been following any kinds of ethics other than must save humanity. Doesn't matter what, the, what, co- what it costs us to save humanity. Mm. Do you really need to save humanity? And what really are the costs? Yeah, there's, there's questions to be asked there. Now, again, in the game where you're running into infected every five minutes, yes, you do need to save humanity. Mm-hmm. In the show, right. it's a little bit more questionable. So I hope they do a better job of making them feel a threat next season. Right. Yeah. All right. He continues. Yes, Joel should have been honest with Ellie, but betrayal? Joel is an awful liar and Ellie is great at calling bullshit. I think her okay is more along the lines of, I know what you're saying is BS, but I trust that you really did. What I trust that what you really did was for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for season two and how they pull that off. Even when I don't agree with your takes, I still greatly enjoy <laughs> listening to you both. Well, thank you so much. Well, I think we'll have to see what Ellie meant with the okay. I think there was a lot more betrayal in there than you're letting on, but I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh, what, what, I mean, that's an interesting question is if we flip it and she says, okay, tell me the truth. What happened? And he's like, well... I murdered the entire hospital, <laughs> right? I killed the doctor. I shot Marlene, and then I shot her again. Um, what would have Ellie's response been? 
you know um, when she just i think she was Joel... very angry but i again i know too much i can't i cannot okay, say you anymore. cannot you're you're bound from saying anything mildly interesting. Um, yeah the it's it's a question because there's a question now is if ellie doesn't believe joel and by the by lying to her he's fractured their relationship um and then or if he told the truth and fractured the relationship or he didn't do anything in the hospital and she died like it's a pretty tough set of choices for joel to be dealing with here so what yeah what do you what do you do in joel's position you you go crazy you go crazy and kill a hospital full of people i don't know um but in any any math that i can see he loses ellie right Right. Yeah, there was no way he was keeping her after this. Right. All right. I think it's time to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll finish up our feedback. And we're back. Ken writes in. Love y'all's work and really appreciate your deeper-than-surface-level approach to reviewing shows. Hey, thanks, Ken. I do have to say I completely disagree with David on his take that Joel (laughs) doesn't love Ellie. This seems to be a common refrain. I wonder why. The show did a phenomenal job of hitting the emotional notes of the game, but this is the one episode where I feel like game players have a leg up on show-only watchers. Naturally, the game puts you into Joel's shoes and allows you to see things a bit better from his perspective. The benefit of playing as his character is that you're almost supposed to merge with him as your actions become his. Scenes like the one with the giraffe really stand out more in the game because you, as Joel, are watching Ellie like a parent watches a child experience something amazing. Yeah, places like Niagara Falls are a wonder, but nothing beats seeing your child experience something that majestic. Mm -hmm. As a game player, you're supposed to fall in love with Ellie as as a character throughout the course of the game, meaning Joel himself does as well. This all comes to a head during the hospital scene. As John said, the instructions are quite simple. Save Ellie. You do have a choice on how you do that. You can either sneak your way across the hospital, or you can go in guns blazing and do exactly as Joel did in the show. I know I did the latter. I imagine so many others did as well. There was a single thing on your mind as you cleared the hospital fireflies. Ellie. It wasn't Sarah, it wasn't Tess, it wasn't Tommy. The game made you feel that love in a 4D way that might not have come across well on screen. In David's defense, my wife who doesn't play video games came away with the same takes on Joel. Thank you guys for the fantastic coverage of this show and so many others. You're quickly rising to the top of my favorite TV podcasters. Thank you, Ken. David, what do you think about this take? Well, I think Ken. Uh, I think Ken's wife did a. <laughs> we, we married a good person. <laughs> yeah, can she write in for you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've we've covered a, a a lot of this stuff. I think it's interesting on the from the show aspect. I mean, I've heard from from you and a few others who've played the game. Like the body count is really high, and so going into the hospital is sort of the final level. Right is to be expected for the game. Uh, I don't know um, about then, that. Right, you, I don't know about that. It was shocking okay. to me. It was shocking okay. to me when I had to do that. If I were going to predict the final level before I got there, it would have been okay. 
they're trying to make the cure and we have to defend it from raiders or something or from infected. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Instead, you got to go in and just, yeah, wipe up the place. Yeah, and I will tell you this. I don't know a single person who has chosen to sneak through that hospital at the end because and it's not it's not even because you know it's fun to play the action although it is but it's also because they instill the sense of urgency in you Mm -hmm. because you are the person who has to go save ellie she's about to be killed and you have to go save her they don't tell you if you have a time limit or anything that you just know that you have to go. And it really does feel urgent. It feels emotional. I mean, you said something in one of our podcasts, you know, maybe maybe because you see real people dying in the show, it it feels more real or emotional. I don't think so. I actually felt much more emotional in the game because wow. I had to be there making those decisions. And that's something where when video games do it right, they have a huge advantage in that regard because it forces you to play in the shoes of that character. Which is really interesting um, from my game playing experience, and I played a lot of video games, right, in the arcade and then on computer and on, on consoles uh, up to a point, the games that we were playing were just button mashers, right? right? You're just trying to survive, get through, get the level, get the power up. And so this story-based gameplay was just really not present in my history of video games. And so to hear you talking about it and to hear um, you know, Ken uh, explaining it in this way, it's really uh, otherworldly for me. Or, or even listening to, to uh, uh, Jeannie from Texas, who's watching somebody else play it and is being entertained uh-huh. by that watching. Like, that's wild to me. That's, that's a whole different kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how much the cinematic type of game has developed in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I think The Last of Us is a large part of it, right? is that yeah. it, it made gaming go to the next level of storytelling. I think Bioshock was a big part of that, too. That was actually the first game that really got like storytelling awards, where movie critics were starting to say, okay, video games can tell movie stories. Right. So Interesting. Maybe we'll yeah. cover that at some point. But I know Brad and I just recorded our second part of The Last of Us 1 podcast. He's already saying, when are we going to do The Last of Us Part 2? Because he wants to know what happens now. <laughs> Fair enough. Of course he does. Right. Well, we'll be excited to hear that uh, podcast when it comes out. Yeah, should be out this weekend. Very excited for that. Okay. Awesome. Sergeant Drano writes in, hey there, Lorehounds. That's if a name. The la- yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, man. If The Last of Us was trying to create a controversial choice at the end of the story, which I don't really think it was, then I think they failed. I am kind of shocked that you two, that the two of you, would even slightly side with the fireflies. One, this is okay. not a trolley problem. You well, guys, hang on a second. I, okay. What, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't think I've ever sided with the fireflies. I think I was just trying to deal with my uh, reaction to uh, what was going on with Joel. Yeah. And, and I'm separating that. And I think, uh, I forget who has said earlier um, that, um, mul- oh, John from Indianapolis was saying multiple things can be true, right? It's the same thing as like we can we can pull pieces out independently and try to analyze them. And I don't, um, at least for me, I just because I was shocked and appalled at some of what uh, Joel was doing, that didn't mean that I agreed with what the Fireflies were doing. It wasn't a binary for me. Yeah, it's like so. saying 
World War II was really bad, and then you say, no, World War I was really bad. No, they could both be bad, right? It's, it doesn't, right. They, neither one has to win. It's not a competition. Right. Although, no, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not going to take a side <laughs> yeah. here. You're not going to trick Don't me over down. here, Sergeant Drano. <laughs> Number one, he continues, this is not a trolley problem. You guys felt like the additional details in the show made it sound like the Fireflies had more of a plan to make it a cure. But speaking as someone who never played the game, that was not my takeaway at all. He thinks they could be a cure, Joel. Thinks. Mm, this is not a fact. This is theory. Agreed. The Fireflies are going to murder a 14-year-old child based on an educated guess. Their actions would be questionable even if a cure was a certainty, but as a mere theory, there is no question here. This is mad scientist territory. That's the second time we heard mad scientists today, huh? Yep. I, I, think, I think they're on to something there. Yeah. The Fireflies think... Ellie is a unique opportunity for a cure, and yet they are prepared to eliminate her immediately. One and done. No take-backsies if their methods were flawed. That is grossly irresponsible, even from a strictly scientific view. It's stupid. Although, we did learn that there is a possibility of eugenics, right? Of maybe we'll just, you know, get a bunch of pregnant women infected right before they give birth. Hmm. Uh, ag- agreed. You know, we have to take the show for what the show gave us, so there's that. But then if we want to step back and get into headcanon land, yeah, it's stupid. There's no reason that they need to, you know, uh, cut her brain open so quickly at this yeah. point. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't make sense in, in, from that standpoint. Moving on. There is no ticking clock for harvesting this theoretical cure. It's not like they have to cut her brain out immediately or the cure would be lost. Here again, where is the impetus to murder this child? There is none. Mm-hmm. The Fireflies gave no agency to Ellie. They high-horsed Joel, claiming Ellie would choose death, but they can't truly know that because they didn't ask her. That makes them hypocrites and cowards. Agree. <laughs> and I think that um, the Fireflies and Grandstanding go together like PB&J. Right. <laughs> Two great tastes. Even if they had asked Ellie and Ellie had given consent, she can't. She's 14. We've heard that take before. Yep. Number six, the doctor and nurses were equally guilty of attempted murder. Ooh, okay. Every single person that stood in Joel's way was an accessory to attempted murder of a child. Joel was legally and ethically justified in taking the actions he took. I don't know if there's a legal structure here, but sure. (laughs) Those actions were absolutely necessary in preventing that murder and defending that child. Well, okay. Maybe of the guards. Again, I I think the doctor is debatable, but. If you want to extend it and say you don't want anyone coming after her, then sure, let's put the doctor in there. Right, but then just like he's a doctor in a post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> There's not many of them. Well, Kathleen um, will tell you that the doctors don't really help, and then she shoots them in the head. You're right. Yeah, I guess they're not very happy with the medical <laughs> profession in this world. Yeah. Um, the and, door-to-door you know, uh, cat scan salesman, is that what it was? Right. Ex- yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, all of those guards in that hospital, like, you know, how many infected have they killed? How many, ra- you know, how many cannibal, you know, uh, settlements have they, you know, stopped in, in their tracks? We, we get, you know, if we start, you know, weighing souls like, you know, like little bean counters on a, on a weight scale, it's going to get really tricky really fast. So I would, I would, this is where I hesitate. Like, okay. Fine, take the side of Joel. Joel is um, justified, and we talked about this before. His best 
defense is a good offense in this situation. But is it is Ellie's life worth the life of all of these people in the hospital? I I, I don't know that I'm prepared to weigh out the the souls on a on a scale here. Well, I am. No, just kidding. All right. <laughs> he continues. Joel was given no other choice other than to stand by and do nothing while a child is murdered. Again, no real choice. There is no ethical dilemma here. That's without even taking into account that the child in question is essentially his daughter now. It doesn't matter how many people he killed to rescue her. They were all complicit in attempted child murder. No amount of attempted murderers balances the scale against one innocent child. And Joel well, did go. not murder them because his actions were in defense of another justifiable homicide. What do you think, David? I think I'm going to have to disagree respectfully here. Um, I don't know that there's a binary here. Um, right. Marlene's, Marlene and the Fireflies weren't justified. Did all of those people in the hospital, well, and, you know, and, and uh, Sergeant Drano here makes the, the case that it doesn't matter they were on that side, therefore they're you know in the way between Joel and, and saving her. Um, I it's interesting to say that it's justifiable homicide and not murder. Yeah, I mean I I don't agree with what you're saying here, and the reason is I don't think that we summar summarily execute people. And I mean I again I think you can make the argument it was justified to kill the people up to the doctors but this, as soon as you get into the, the doctor's office and he's got a scalpel come on man you don't get to just shoot everyone who holds a knife to you right he shot him in the head so right right <laughs> that, it's not that like he seemed... was trying to defend anybody he was he was shooting it was an execution right yeah and i think it was uh, in what is it are you saving the life of a 14 year old what it, what's justifiable action there versus joel trying to stop the fireflies from ever coming at Ellie again. I think that's what that was about. It wasn't right. about, hey, I'm trying to get this person out the door as fast as I can. Right. That was about just ending the firefly research completely. Right. I think that's a different question. Exactly. Finally, Joel was even justified in lying to Ellie about what happened. He is her parent. He is her guardian. And that means protecting her from harm. Knowing the truth of what happened could only have caused Ellie more trauma. That is not a weight she needs to bear. Now, I think Joel could have come up with a better cover story or perhaps just told her the truth, but explain it in a way that makes her understand just how bad the Fireflies were. But her, his reasoning is still ethically sound and makes sense as a parent. Sometimes you must withhold information to protect your child. Joel is not a monster. The Fireflies were monsters. Joel did what he had to do. All right. So again, this is one of the things where you're... you're yeah, I think this whole email really judges this situation based on our world with our rules and i don't think that mm -hmm. this is the same kind of world i think that mm -hmm. ellie has had to kill people for joel she has had to you know murder someone trying to assault her i i don't think that this is the same kid that you need to protect from every single situation right right, right. i i think that you're 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 giving her a little bit too much too much cushion for who she is. Mm -hmm. She's not the person mm -hmm. that needs a cushion. She's the person who wants the truth. And I think that, right. you know, even, even when you're parenting in the real world, and, you know, my kids are very young. I haven't really had to do this yet. But I don't think that it's a one-size-fits-all thing, right? I, I think that you have to weigh every situation of, yeah. what do I tell them? How much do I tell them? How do I present it? When do I tell them? There's a lot right. of factors. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So 
I, I think that's one of the hardest things about being a parent is that you can't just work on blanket policies and, you know, the answer is always this all the time. Right. You've got to, um, at least the way we've been trying to parent our uh, daughter is meeting her where she is in that moment. And, you know, what is it that she's asking? Why is it that she's asking as part of a continuum, not a, just a, a, oh, you're too young or you're too old or right. whatever. We right. just can't. Uh, it, it really takes constantly being thinking and being with them in the moment as opposed to just going, oh, this is the policy, therefore X. Right. Yeah, it's tough, right? There's no uh, manual, especially in this world. No. So. <laughs> Human beings are complex. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate this feedback. It was challenging. It made us wrestle with some things, and I disagree with most of it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for writing in. Eric S., our last feedback item, writes in, David and John, congratulations on finishing out the first season of The Last of Us. Your critical commentary and insights contributed significantly to my enjoyment and understanding of the show. Parentheses, I never played the game. Hey, thanks, Eric S. I think this is a nice piece of feedback to end on, right? Yep. Some thoughts I had, he continues. I understand Joel's actions in episode 9. Joel is intensely loyal to those he chooses to protect. It was Sarah in the beginning, and after her death, he drifted until his loyalty shifted to Tess. I think he had Tommy in the middle, too. I'm going to add that. Right. Tess wanted him to transport Ellie, so he did. And at first, his loyalty remained with Tess and the task she had given him. When it shifted to Ellie herself between Jackson Hole and Silver Lake, she was no longer cargo and now the object of his protection. In Salt Lake City, Marlene did not give him an opportunity to shift his loyalty to something new. She deliberately offered him nothing, so he defaulted to his current priority, safeguarding Ellie. It was a rational decision, given Joel's worldview, to break Ellie out of Salt Lake and kill anyone who would threaten them in the future. Agreed, it was logical. That's the whole reason I've been fighting the insanity <laughs> argument so hard this whole time. It was absolutely rational, and rational does not mean morally correct. Right. Number two, I understand why he left the nurses in the surgery alive. I suppose they are now a device to let the story circle back to Jackson and Ellie about what he did in Salt Lake. As to the whole series, I have two problems with the world construction overall. I don't think the characters devote enough time to personal security. They have grown up in a world for two decades where they could be attacked anytime by infected or other people with lethal consequences and they sleep out in the open. Look at human cultures throughout history who operate in non-secure environments. They secure themselves every night. And they seek safety in numbers. There's a strong cultural stigma against leaving the tribe because it means almost certain death. After two decades and a new generation growing up post-pandemic, there would be a strong collective behavioral shift towards protecting yourself at all times. In this respect, I thought the whole Ellie and Riley at the mall episode was intensely unrealistic, along Mm. with Joel and Ellie's attitudes traveling across the country almost nonchalantly. David, what do you think? That's, that's a, again, we're... There's two levels that we're dealing with the feedback here. One, which is what the show has given us. And then the second one, which is abstracting the show and, and thinking in these, uh, non, in these ways that we, where we're making up information and we're trying to, um, take real world examples and understandings and apply it, uh, around the story. Um, obviously, 
in the story, we did not see this, but I strongly agree with the general sentiment of this, that there would be a very different kind of societal structure, uh, especially outside of the QZs, where, where people are operating and reestablishing and trying to reassert society uh, in the face of the nature and in the face of the uh, pandemic and the infected themselves. So yeah, uh, uh, agree on the meta context of the, you know, meta outside of the show. Inside the show, uh, I don't know. But on the outside of the show, I agree. All right. Does that make sense? That does make sense, I think. Okay. Regarding Ellie and Riley, I think that it doesn't matter what horrors you're living through. I think history shows us that teenagers are going to be teenagers and rebellions are going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. And right. I think that Riley felt like a hotshot because she was a firefly and she was stationed mm-hmm. there and she thought, well, it's probably safe because I've been staying here a few days and I haven't been attacked. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's as unrealistic as you're saying, because I think that they're both kind of little shits at that point and they just want to, mm-hmm. you know, wreak havoc. And Ellie does express anxiety about it, right? And Riley reassures her, somebody who she has a crush on, who hasn't trusted a crush at, for stupid reasons. and. Yeah, I mean, Riley Riley was just wrong. She was just wrong that there was something there. Maybe she just, you know, didn't realize that if they made enough noise, they'd wake up something that was there the whole time. They did a bad job at <laughs> clearing the place out. Right, so. exactly. Lastly, it's been 20 years, and I don't see evidence of primitive manufacturing to replace scavenging. Everyone dresses and carries around equipment like the collapse of society was a few seasons ago, but... After two decades, a lot of products would start to break down, particularly if they were exposed to sunlight and use. I think the Jackson Society would have more leather and wool clothing, for instance, and we would have to see something to replace the dwindling supply of functional firearms and ammunition. You've mentioned that one of the themes in the games is that this is a shortage item, but I think that hasn't been as explicit as it should be. By now, after 20 years, usage and spoilage would make ammunition downright rare. Thanks again for the great work and keep it up. Sincerely, Eric. So the uh, the ammo thing, I think we kind of mentioned it before. There is a Fedra factory, which was mentioned in episode right. one, that produces ammo. So it is getting circulated out there. How that cycles out, I don't know. You know, I, I agree with you that it, there's pro- it would probably be a bigger issue in the real world. I think this is one of those suspension of disbelief things, right? Right. Yeah, I, I agree that... Um, and, and we... Uh, you know, I, not to draw too much comparison to The Walking Dead, but we did see a lot more of uh, an attempt at that kind of storytelling in The Walking Dead. Hey, we've got crops, or we're doing fish over here. Um, you know, we, we make spears. Oh, yeah, we make, you know, we, we breed horses. So, yeah, I, I agree that. I, but then I would think that in this world, too, at least the way that they made me believe it, it felt like humanity was still very much on its back foot and that the threat of infected was still very potent. Um, Whereas like in The Walking Dead, they're shambling, you know, falling off the bone sort of uh, zombies, dangerous in big groups, but not so much as in singles. Um, Whereas in this world, uh, even a single zombie or a single infected is highly dangerous. So yeah, it just feels like that world, the, the, the Last of Us world, is still a little bit on the heels as opposed to taking control of the situation. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And maybe that is a criticism on Fedra, right? Because Fedra mm-hmm. has keep, right, kept everyone siloed. Down. 
They have not let people right. create their own societies. So maybe that's just that and issue. Fear. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Well, that's the end of the feedback pod, David. You got any other Ugh. thoughts before we head into our outro? No, I'm uh, I'm just glad that we got it all, got through it all. Um, I just want to thank everyone who wrote in. We made a very conscious decision at the beginning was to go through everyone's email and give everyone's voice an opportunity. Um, and so that's why we broke up the podcast into two pieces. So thanks for your patience on that. And thanks for all of the feedback. It really was thoughtful and informative. And I am here. I don't know that I'm ready to admit that I was wrong on air, yeah. <laughs> but I certainly am not as vehement in my uh, opinion about Joel's motivations. I still have a question about whether Joel is reacting to Ellie as Ellie or as, uh, or as some sort of proxy for Sarah. But um, I definitely can see some uh, more of the, the different thoughts and motivations that he could have you know, been taking and not being as insane. So yeah, you guys have changed, helped me change my, my opinion a little bit. So thank you for that. And yeah, thank you for a great season of television. We've got a while till we get season two. I don't know, John, wrap up thoughts? I think season two is going to be insane. I think we're going to laugh and we're going to cry. And I hope okay. you will all join us here. <laughs> so David, let's do our Patreon shout outs quick. No, I was just going to say our numbers have been growing the last few days. So everyone who's joined recently, thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, as our lowest tier is uh, $3, our highest tier is, is 10 The $10 lore masters are uh, one of the benefits is you get a shout out. And we have many, we have, I don't know, the podcast is going to be like a third uh, Patreon shout outs to two thirds of content It's getting that long. Uh, you want to read them. us through? We do. I would love to read them. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., S.C., Peter O. H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., and Dork of the Ninjas, and Doove71, Brian8063, and our newest lore master, Frederick H. Thank you so much to all of you absolute heroes here keeping the wheels of lorehound of the right. train of the lorehounds <laughs> rolling tracks keeping the podcast distributed on the airwaves and getting exclusive content on the way the bits flowing we're keeping the bits flowing truly all right our programming notes yeah end of uh end of march we've made it through march madness and we're going to come into a little bit saner april let's hope it's not going to happen, but we'll, we'll pretend it will. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if you want more of The Last of Us, check out the Lorehounds play The Last of Us Part 1. We're going to be talking about the game, me and Brandon the Bard, and we're going to be going through it in two parts because we can't get enough of this game. Then, if you want Star Wars, we've got The Mandalorian Season 3 going every week. We're having a great time. There's songs at times. You can just get... get all your Star Wars goodness there and on our coverage of The Bad Batch and Visions, which will be coming out sometime in early April. Ted Lasso Season 3 is going every single week. Really feel-good show. A lot of great comedy this season. A lot of great character development. I think we're getting to some deeper themes this season. We're also going with the Earthsea Cycle, which, funny enough, somebody compared to Ted Lasso earlier today in a piece of feedback, and I think that'll be 
a fun little comparison to draw between the main character of Rootsy and Ted Lasso. Silmarillion yes. Stories is out now publicly, and soon we're going to be recording Silmarillion Stories number six with Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About. That one's going to be of Thingol and Melian, which is a very exciting story. It's a very short one, but it's a good one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, reconnecting with Mary Clay from That's What I'm Talking About as well. Absolutely. Well, David, anything else to say to our lovely listeners before we head out for the season? No, just thank you all so very much for creating a fun and vibrant community. Uh, yeah, John and I are having a good time. We're glad that you're having a good time. And uh, we just really appreciate all the support and the feedback. All right. Thanks. And see you next season. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>